In the past weeks, we've been looking at different aspects of David's life. And today we're going to look at the aspect of him and how he sought counsel. He listened to good counsel and he surrounded himself with men who he could trust and who could listen to. And of course, David lived in a, a time, just as we do, where he had to find this counsel in the midst of the difficulties of life. And you'll see from his life and the accounts that he couldn't really make it up, all that happened to him. And so you see these silver threads, these golden threads in his life. And we just want to look at this thread now. Um, but we have an anchor scripture, which is Second uh, Samuel 19, verses 1 through 8. But I want to give you a bit of background to it, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. David, at this point, has just uh, won a victory uh, against his son Absalom. And his son Absalom has just died. Now Absalom was a wicked man. He sought to kill his own father and all that he had, all the family he had, in order to take the throne and take Jerusalem. And when David heard that much of the nation Israel was, was, was siding with Absalom and he was coming to Jerusalem, he fled with all his household. And Absalom then, uh, in the following days, brings his army to try to root out David, to find David and to destroy him. But the Lord delivers David and Absalom's army is defeated. And David had said to the commanders, including Joab, who actually is the person who speaks in this passage to David, he says, look, spare my son, be kind to my son. If, if my son is defeated, but spare his life. And Joab, knowingly, in a position when he could have spared Absalom's life, didn't. He thought, why should this murderer, this thief, this imposter, this unrighteous man, why should he live? And David is bereft. He's beyond consoling. So there's been a mighty victory, and David is, is lamenting the loss of his son. So we'll pick up this passage at the beginning. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning, and all the people, for the people heard that day. And the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people who steal in, who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those that hate you and hate those that love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today, I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. What, what an accusation. And then he goes on to say, Now therefore rise, 
Go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you tonight, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And the people came before the king. So I want to just run through a, a thread of different events uh, where David took counsel. And they're not in any particular order except for the first one. And the heading is that he had a heart after the Lord. He listened to his God. You'll, you'll know because it's the Old Testament that, in fact, there were the priests were given means by which they could give the direction of the Lord, the Urim and the Thummim, the ephod, which they, they wore on their breast. It was part of the priestly garments. And uh, kings, including um, Absalom, uh, though he didn't become king, they, they sought, and Saul did, and, and David did, they sought counsel from the priests. But of course, um, David also ran to the priest and ran to the prophet Samuel when he was fleeing from David. In fact, um, Ahimelech, the priest, uh, gives David Goliath's sword when da David is fleeing from Saul and Ahimelech is, is murdered by Saul, in fact, including all of the priests at Nob, except for one that escapes. So Paul wipes out the priests. But David runs to the priest. He runs to the prophet. You remember also that at one point, David, he liberates a city, the city of Keilah, from the Philistines. So they must have been very pleased that David's just rescued us. So David's there, but Saul's trying to destroy David. And he's coming towards Keilah. So he asks the Lord, will these people in Keilah, will they give me up if Saul comes, or will they protect me? And the Lord says, they'll give you up. Man, how important it was that he inquired of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that here the Lord isn't telling him what, what is going to happen. This never happened. He just said, if you stay here, this will happen. And David flees for his life and escapes Saul. You remember some weeks ago, um, one of the studies on a Sunday morning we were looking at uh, how David sought the guidance when he's fighting the Philistines, where he says, Lord, shall I go up against them? And also, yes, you will. You'll be successful. Next time, he doesn't presume that he knows because he's done it before. He says, shall I go up against them? And the Lord says, yes, but don't do it the same way. Go round about the other way, up by the balsam trees, and when you hear the sound of the wind in the trees or the marching in the trees, then attack. And he was successful. He always relied on the Lord. The next group is he listened to his friends. And Joab is one of these examples. Now, these friends are, are, are people who've been with him. They're not friends that he met yesterday, and they get on quite well. They, make, they, they have a few beers together. These are people who have fought with David. They've protected David. They've served David. They laid down their lives. Remember, Jesus says there's no greater love than, than that a man lays down 
his life for his friend. Jesus then continued to say, and I have called you friends. Now, Jesus is talking about himself, but it's true of all those that are of his heart that they'll lay down their lives. And these men certainly did. They had a track record and they knew David inside out. Well, not quite. They were always marveled that David didn't take things into his own hands when he could have. So David is, trusts these men implicitly because his life has depended on it many, many times. So when Job, Job, Joab walks in, David says nothing. He recognizes he's got to snap out of it. That the Lord has judged in this matter. And although the grief is right to have your son, um, the, the father grieves for the prodigal son, but now he has to pick himself up and walk on with the Lord. Um, another place he took counsel from was from strangers. You know, we associate counsel with somebody who is a, 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 a faithful person that you can go to, maybe his friends. But we read of Abigail, and the background to this is that Abigail's husband was a very belligerent, ungodly man. And David has been looking after and protecting this man's great wealth and his sheep and his, his goats and his camels. And um, David says, well, he's fleeing Saul, needs food. And he says, will you give me food? And, guy, and this man says, well, you know, uh, who are you? Why should I give you anything? So David, in a very uncharacteristic, a petulant way, full of anger and indignation, says, right, I'm going to wipe these people out, right? They, 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 you know, look what I've done for them. And this is how they repay me. They won't give me some food. So he's coming with his men to wipe out this man. And his good wife, Abigail, hears. She's a beautiful and wise woman and goes before David and meets him with food and provisions and asks, will you have mercy? My husband was, you know, wrong to do that. Please, would you forgive? And this is what David says. And in his statement, there are three things he recognizes from this woman he doesn't know. He says in 1 Samuel 25, 32, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Somebody's giving him words and he recognizes that it's the Lord. He continues, Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. See, it's one thing to get counsel to say, do this, and this is how you shall overcome the enemy, or this is how you shall prosper, or this is how you shall escape. Here he recognizes that God has sent a messenger to say, stop now before you do something you'll regret, before you do something that is sin. And David recognized that he's been stopped from doing something where he would be blood guilty. And the third thing he recognizes, he finally says, and you've prevented me from working salvation by my own hand. Actually, this was uncharacteristic because David always 
will quite consistently refrain from taking things into his own hands. In fact, you, you remember when he cuts the corner of Saul's um, garment, when he could have killed him, his friends, who aren't always reliable counselors, said, well, kill him. God's put him in your hand. And he said, no, I won't take it into my hands. I'll leave that to God. We've got to be careful that when we have a calling on our lives or God's told us something or shown us something or leading us in a way that we don't try to outstep God. We don't try to create something for ourselves or don't try to make it happen because God's way is always the one, the one that's right and brings glory to himself. A fourth uh, place where he, he, he found guidance and, and help was a brother. But I'm not talking about a physical brother, a blood brother. I'm talking about a brother that the Lord has given. Um, I'm talking about Jonathan. And we pick up on 1 Samuel chapter 18, at verse 1. David had just been introduced to Saul. In fact, not the first time, but it, it reads as if it is. And in, as soon as he had finished, says the scripture, uh, speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Um, Jonathan was a gift to David, a man who didn't take care of his own interests or his own costs and ultimately died. He laid his life down for David and he saved him on many occasions. He had a heart after God and God knitted him to David. May we all have people that God's given to us who are closer than a blood, blood, blood brother or closer than an actual sister, relative or, 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 or cousin or whatever. Now I've got a twin brother who loves the Lord and he's a treasure to me, but he's also been given to me as a brother in the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. And David relied on this man to stand up for him, to protect him, to guide him, to comfort him. There's this uh, uh, scripture that kind of comes to mind when we're thinking about this in Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The next place where he went for, um, or he was willing to take counsel from, rather didn't go, is when he was rebuked. He took that counsel. And of course, I'm thinking about um, uh, his uh, sin when um, he took Bathsheba. Chris dealt with it two weeks ago. And he sinned by taking another man's wife. And just out of interest, this, that episode was the starting point of the rebellion in David's household. God said that because of this, your household will be split, Israel will be split. Um, now, 
Nathan the prophet comes and talks to David and uh, sort of catches him out if you read the account in, in 2 Samuel 12, 7. Uh, and David humbles himself and repents. And of course, the child that came out of that um, union died. Now you might say, well, that's, you know, that's not great really. Of course, of course, of course he admitted it because he could not admit it. He'd been found out. That's true. But how good are we at taking rebuke? One of the interesting things is that the, he pleaded for that little child's life. But when the child died, he quickly got up again because he said, what the Lord has done, he's done, but I will worship the Lord. Are you and I, are we quick when we're rebuked? Are we good at receiving it? Are we willing to act on it? And are we quick to come back or do we live in a half? Do we, do we sort of um, go round and round until so slowly, slowly we sort of come onto good ground? Scripture says that if we sin, the first letter of John, if we sin and confess our sins, he's just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, our, all unrighteousness. Now that doesn't need time. That needs affirmative action. And the sixth group, the place where he took counsel from was the obvious one, he had counselors. So a counselor uh, that he had with him uh, through, through many years was this man called Ahithophel. Be easy if his name was Dave, but it's Ahithophel. And it says in 2 Samuel 16, 23, now in those days, the counsel of Ahithophel, the counsel that he gave was as if one consulted with the word of God. So David had a regular people around him, and this was one of those men. And it also says that actually Absalom had also really trusted this man in that way. Both David and Absalom did. And you think, well, what happens when you've got a man who gives good counsel and suddenly your son is against you taking your life and this Ahithophel had taken Absalom's side? So I'd say in colloquial language, he, he went rogue. He went against God's anointed, against God's purposes, against God's decree, which Samuel through his prophet had made clear. What happens? Well, in 2 Samuel 15, 31, David, who's now fleeing because uh, uh, Absalom's uh, going to seek his life, he just simply says, Oh, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness. And interestingly enough, Absalom doesn't take Ahithophel's advice. So his advice in terms of, um, in terms of uh, Absalom's purposes was actually sound, but God defeated it. But the point here simply is that there are counsellors around us, people who are, uh, you know, are, are good counsellors, good to listen to, and David and, 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 and kings generally had counsellors like that, some of them good ones and some of them not. 
Now, let's let's go. Let's look a little bit at the. The, the basics, the, the, the basics that are foundational or almost a prerequisite to receiving good counsel. See, David received counsel from all these different directions, but there was an ingredient that he had. And his son Solomon writes about this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart, for their life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. See, David knew how to be attentive to God's word. He inclined his ear, he had a heart to obey, and out of that flowed life. You might say, well, there was victory and prosperity, but for us in the new covenant, it is life. It's quite good, actually, when you look at David, to go back to the origins, the beginning. You remember that it, he was one of many sons, and Samuel goes and says, well, I've, uh, on, on, on the command of the Lord, that go to Jesse's house, and I will show you who to anoint as king. And, well... All these trapping lads, didn't, Samuel thought it must be one of these, and it wasn't, because God says that he looks at the heart. So if we, if, we, if we go back to that time, and you think, well, okay, he was anointed, and it says the spirit rushed upon him. Um, and you think, okay, well, he, he, he then goes on to defeat Goliath, and you're thinking, well, of course, the spirit came on him, and that's why he defeated Goliath, and, and, and that's true, but not the whole story. Because the important thing is that he had a good heart. God saw a good heart, a heart that was responsive and soft, before he was ever uncovered, before he was ever found, before he was ever anointed. In other words, the secret place, what happens in your life and my life in the secret place, prepares you for the public place. I don't necessarily public like in a Goliath incident or that you will be particularly prominent or that you'll be a preacher, or the, but I'm saying that, that the equipping doesn't happen out there. The secret place is found out in the public manifestation. So, you know, a silly little example then me, Rob Packey, I went for my German GCSEs it's the public exam. I've got to sit there in the hall. The paper's very real. My lack of knowledge is very real. And the fact that my studies in the secret place, the quiet place at home, was insufficient for the challenge. I mean, I knew it as I sweated through the paper. And there was my brother in front of me, sitting one, one seat in front, who's leaning back because he knew it all. He got an A. Very uncomfortable. But this is a secret that is very, very important for us. So when Dave comes, David comes before Saul, when Goliath is taunting the armies, he says in 1 Samuel 17, 37, it's a longer bit that he says, but I'm picking out the important bit. The Lord who delivered me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I mean, here's a little lad who seems to have no idea about the gravity of the situation. I mean, he thinks it's going to be straightforward. I mean, 
even even uh, even good old Goliath is a is quite upset and offended by the fact that this little lad's coming. I mean, he wants a proper battle. He says, "Are you coming to me as to a dog?" Absolutely. Because David has learned, he's been tested, he's been tried, he's found God faithful. He, he's found God to be good. And when he's manifested that which he already has, God says, now I'm going to put it to use. I'm going to give you a position. Question is, do you and I have good hearts? And we can. We've been called to have good hearts. In the New Covenant, things don't happen quite the same way, but the principles are the same. We don't go to a priest. We don't get the ephod to ask what the direction of the Lord will be. We don't have to have a prophet in the same way, though, of course, we still have prophets. Prophets are sent by God in, in both covenants. But this is what... Um, um, the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 8, verse 10, about a covenant later than David, that covenant will be brought in by Jesus, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the Messiah. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. You know that the Holy Spirit has been given to men. It says in 1 John, those who, those who believed in him, um, he gave power. It says, sorry, it says those who believed him and, and received him, he gave power to become the sons of God. And... Um, and, and, of course, John, Jesus speaks, in, in, and these are both from the Gospel of John. He says in 1426, um, But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He says also in 1613, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. I and the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides us into the very heart of Jesus. We are able to have new hearts, soft hearts, hearts that please God, because he's made it possible by the blood of Jesus, possible by the giving of the Holy Spirit. So, in conclusion, we are in a world which is full of turmoil, we face many difficulties that, you know, I wouldn't understand the difficulties you face. and Maybe you don't understand some of mine. We face challenges, but he who called you is faithful. He's faithful. And if you have this heart that we read in Proverbs, my son, be attentive. My daughter, be attentive to my word, incline your ear to my saying. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And if we walk with him that way, 
we will never lack good counsel. We'll recognize his voice in all sorts of ways that might be strange and ones that you wouldn't think of. We will be secure. We will not say, what does the Lord want from me? And we will please him and we will obey him. Praise the Lord.